0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J-10 initiative.
1: We're off to the races. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, Father Michael O'Loughlin. Father Nathan. Are you, why are you confused? Well, just the sound was a little different.
0: Oh, uh, I'm just talking loud. No, we're good. We're still getting our technical stuff figured out, but I think we're good.
1: We already listened to the last podcast, and it sounds fine,
0: yeah, so amen. All right, good. welcome. Hope you can hear our voices. We know you can we're This sure you can.
1: was our first intermission uh for a podcast <laughs> for dinner. <laughs>
0: a first real intermission. We usually just have dinner of a smoke and yeah, cigarettes and whiskey, but we actually went out for
1: can I say it's your favorite restaurant? <laughs> It's a favorite restaurant. It's like my children. I, I wh- While we were eating dinner. I can't, I can't compare. I can't compare my kids.
0: Well, <laughs> while we were eating dinner, I thought the banter for the next one has to be Father Nathan explaining his wisdom to the world about how to eat chicken fingers at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's there's a certain. So
0: so what what is the, you were educating me. I felt like a little child sitting on your lap learning how to live other ways of the world. Just... So go ahead and explain
1: it. He was sitting on my uh, my Dunlap belt. Um, so Father Michael said that he's only been to Chick-fil-A, what, twice? Yeah, I think three times at this point. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. So uh, I took him to Chick-fil-A, and uh, he had gotten nuggets last time. So I decided, you know, nuggets are for little kids, (laughs) little little babies.
0: Oh, that was recommended by a listener. So now you're, now you're going to.
1: Okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you, that's all you can do. (laughs) All you can do is a little nugget, a little bird mouth. Um, so, so we got the strips. Yes. Chicken strips. Um, and then, you know, then you have to choose your sauces. So he asked, what is the, what are the hottest ones that you have now? They do have a shiraka, one. Okay. I am anti sriraka Why? I, I never like that flavor. Okay. Ever. Um, I think it smells bad. I think it tastes worse. Okay. Um, I think it's like a big bully when it comes to, um, assaulting
0: <laughs> your taste buds.
1: Yeah, like I, I everything if people cook with it, it's like all I taste is shiraka. Oh. You know, and don't even think about freaking sending me shiraka to here. Okay. Just listen up, Listerland. I don't want any sriracha.
0: I also want emails because I think it's pronounced Sriracha.
1: I don't care what it is.
0: So I think we should take a poll.
1: No, you can call How do it you and Listerland? We we call mispronounce it. things what all do the time. You, we do. We, That's why I'm making a big sriracha. deal about this. Yeah, it's Sri <laughs> is what it is. Anyways, so then oh. he got the buffalo sauce and yes. the ranch. Yes. And at first he dunked the <laughs> at first he dunked the buffalo sauce. First, I was just failing. And all then the that. ranch. And I just lightly told him <laughs> that it's actually ranch and then buffalo. In his fraternal charity, fraternal correction. Exactly.
0: Because why? The viscosity of the, if you dip That's it right. in the buffalo, so you take a chicken strip. You dip it in buffalo first, then you dip it in the ranch and the ranch just falls right off of the buffalo. If no yeah, if you dip it in the ranch first, right. and then the buffalo, they'll both stick to your chicken strip and then you have a heavenly. To experience.
1: me, it's like dredging. It's like dredging chicken. So you <laughs> you you dredge the chicken in egg first <laughs> okay. and then put it through the flour okay. mixture. But if you do it with uh, if you do it the other way, one doesn't stick to the other. So did you learn
0: this from your Chick-fil-A mentor, or did you figure it out on your own? Like, I, I learned this from you, and I, I, I thank you. There are some I'm people that are eternally grateful in to my Chick-fil-A the, mentor.
1: Some people are educated in the ways of the force. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to call you coach from now on. Coach. Chick-fil-A coach. Coach Carter. All
0: right. That was good, man. It was good, actually. And I, I'm going to get four strips next time. I only got the three, and that wasn't quite enough. So, yep. four trips, and it was good. Good company. Yep. Meaning you and Chick Fil A's is a good company. <laughs>
1: yep. I totally ate like a fat kid because uh, I dribbled sauce not only on the table but I also got so greedy, uh, getting the the last of the buffalo sauce out of my container that I smacked it across the table and <laughs> hit it all over a chair
0: um but that's not only it well what was what was the sauce you have with fries your uncle i don't i don't okay. like it i okay. was
1: just showing you i see that you can try that <laughs> oh my, polynesian my uncle likes the polynesian with the fries okay. i'm like i don't need dessert right <laughs> i don't need dessert <laughs> with my fries well see i i need a
0: dessert i, I eat have dessert almost every meal so that's why i started eating on the sour patch when we got here
1: yeah because they're they're dessert i kind of want to try one right now but like I'm um, yeah we can't eat them while we're recording i'm not
0: world. doing it if i go on a monologue like i tend to do just start eating some sour patch kids all and right. i'll, oh, I'll dude, know that's a good idea yeah, and then i'll know like that's i need to shut up check. yeah exactly i need to uh i need to send it over to you all right so actually this my topic though isn't really my topic it's your topic that you think i would like so uh, well, uh, well <laughs> she's like your patron i know but i didn't know her i'd never heard about her in my life so So we we were one of the podcasts you guys all remember. um, I was talking about how I've had a couple experiences where I've been in the middle of the divine liturgy up on the altar, and all of a sudden I did something horribly embarrassing and. I kind of turned around after doing something embarrassing during the preaching or during the uh, announcements at the end, and I kind of got this very explicit but non-sensory feeling that our Lord was just like, that was hilarious and I did it on purpose, and I'm laughing, and all the saints are laughing, and yes, we're laughing at you, not <laughs> with you, and anyway, I, I have a good sense of humor when it comes to that stuff, so I, I thought it was hilarious, and then, so I mentioned that on the podcast, and you said St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi had kind of a relationship of bantering and kind of joking and teasing with our Lord in her prayer. So, um, I had to ask you of course, who it was this morning. I Is that, that
1: what you. I said? Yeah. Cause you, you, you said you need to look at what, what, what do you remember? Well, I remember I thought you. it was, I thought it was because she dealt with crazy people all the time and you deal with crazy people all the time. Okay. That is your life. Valid.
0: I just don't present company excluded. Of course.
1: No, um, I have true. <laughs> true. Um I haven't I mean I've done some like research on on St Mary Magdalene Depozzi De but okay. not like completely so So I don't I actually in my research today I went to like three or four different
0: like Carmelite websites and things like that to find her and they didn't mention that they mentioned she was the crazy one
1: Yes that's her name Depozzi Depozzi is like of the crazies
0: Oh I think that was also her dad's name though I think that was actually a birth name as well. I oh, mean, maybe I it's know. just fitting. If it's the Potsies, then then that's awesome. So I've never, named, I've never named my cars. And so Father Nathan was like, what what'd you name your, your new to you car? And yeah. I was like, I've never named it anything. So I actually kind of liked the Potsies. <laughs> That's
1: perfect. <laughs>
0: That's a better name than, yeah. than Stefania. We were going to yeah. call her because by, like by, our, our Byzantine cathedral in Phoenix is called Saint Stephen, so we, we decided on Stefania. I like Depotsi, but I'm going to call it De Pazzi. I like that. They're crazy. It's like it's how I'm crazy. It gets me around. And it, de Potsy Honda. The Honda the Honda
1: De Potsy. I, I like that.
0: <laughs> see, Honda De Pazzi. I have a '98 manual transmission so Honda sweet. Accord that I let Father Nathan drive because he hadn't driven a he hadn't driven a stick shift since he had a girlfriend. <laughs>
1: Is that right? Okay. I mean, like, I phrased it in a different way, but yes. You're like, the last time I drove this is my girlfriend's. So obviously that was a long time ago. No, I said I used (laughs) to drive my girlfriend's Uh, manual car. Okay, Um, But yes, it's been a while. Thank you. I took that as me. we move on? Of course. Mary Magdalene Depotsy. So So
0: you um, did some research. I did some research, and I, I really liked her. But when I was reading this... Well, the, the thing that really struck me was that when you read like ancient commentators on her that like wrote in the 16th, so she was in, in the 16th century. When you find people that wrote about her life and why she was a saint, she was she was canonized pretty soon after she was um, a saint. Plus, I think, did you know, you you said her her uh, feast day? Her feast day is my ordination anniversary. Right. Yeah. March. Mar- May 25th. May 25th, yeah. So May 25th is my parents' wedding anniversary. It is my ordination anniversary unplanned. My bishop just, chose that date by the Holy Spirit. Um, But that's her feast day. That's the day she died. Um, So the... uh, Anyway, so when she was, uh, again, 16th century Carmelite from Florence in Italy, and she... Her story is pretty amazing, but it's kind of what we in the Byzantine Church would call an hagiography. Like, in other words, it's not a biography; it's not like facts about their life. But you're you're kind of expounding their their holiness. You're telling stories that seem very kind of out there because it's inspiring. So. um, she was obviously a mystic. I think she had her first mystical experience um, in front of her mother, like people witnessed this when she was twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that when she was ten years old, um, she took a promise of poverty. so when her parents were kind of like i'm not poverty, excuse me virginity. So when her parents were going to marry her off or find someone for her, she said oh i've, I've been, you know I took a vow of uh, virginity too late to, exactly when I was ten years old. Um, which sounds really young. And when I was actually telling a friend of mine about that this morning, my friend says, what do you think when she like grew up, you think she would have gone back on it? Could she have gone back on it? And I said, you know what, honestly, to probably back then and in some cultures, 10 years old is I mean, it's beyond the age of reason. Some people make their life commitments when they're really, really young. And I was just having a conversation with my eight year old niece yesterday. Oh my gosh. Like this, the depth of spirituality and my eight-year-old niece blew my mind. Like, like the, the the ways that she was explaining to me, kind of the 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 process of Christian piety that she lives on a daily basis, and she wasn't bragging; she was like explaining yeah. it in kind of a different way because she was trying to show me what she was teaching her younger siblings. It was amazing to me. So, that there is certainly for some people a maturity given that young. Um, so, promise her virginity at ten. First mystical experience at twelve. When she got, I think she died at, at forty-one years old. But, but her her entire life. Was spent, she went and became a Carmelite because she was so close to our Lord. She learned from a very young age about kind of mystical, silent prayer. And so she spent a lot of time alone when she was young in prayer. And when she got older and she joined the Carmelite monastery, she lived a very extreme ascetical life so kind of like a rose of lima ish mm-hmm. um you know a, a lot of kind of ex- not only accepting crosses from our lord but like deliberately causing herself pain that then she could kind of quote offer up wow. you know kind of desiring you know kind of a saint francis type rolling around in the ashes or you know rolling around in thorn bushes um you know things like like you know even somewhere saying like she was like dripping hot wax on herself, you know things like this. That, that when when you're when you're a person, especially I think back in that kind of generation in the 16th, 17th century, if you're a person who is able to kind of um, mortify yourself through these kind of self-imposed mortifications, like you know um, causing yourself pain in order to align yourself and to experience the sufferings of Christ. And if you're having a if you're having mystical experiences and able to live that kind of mortification and doing that time kind of mortification, that was kind of why people saw she was a saint, because she had these experiences of God, direct mystical experiences of God, and lived life mortification. But the funny thing is, is when I started reading modern commentators, they completely shied away from that stuff
1: because mm-hmm.
0: they were like, "That's you know, that no, nobody nobody is inspired by that anymore." <clears throat> yeah. And so it's important to remember that, you know, when we talk about saints, saints are saints in the church. The church, you know, identifies saints and tells their stories. There's these cults of saints. Um, We we learn their story. We read about them for, for two main reasons. The first main reason, of course, is for intercession. You know, we are still in a community with these saints. So within the body of Christ there are the people that are still living on the earth there are the people that are that are in the afterlife whether heaven hell or purgatory but all these people are in a sense in the body of Christ there's a discussion about whether hell you know depending on the east or west but but are these people within the body of Christ um yes you know and so there is a when one member of the body does something good it affects the whole body in a healthy way When one mem- member of the body does something bad it affects the whole body in a negative way so it's absurd to me as as a Catholic as an apostolic Christian that some Christians deny that seem to think that when you die and go to heaven you kind of forget the people on earth and that they don't believe in the intercession of the mm-hmm. Saints yeah. as if, as if we're not still all one body as if we can't affect them and they can't affect us but that's what we can Catholic and Apostolic Christians believe. We believe that we can affect each other, Um, whether it's prayers for the deceased that we have, and and we affect their time in purgatory, if you want to use that term. Um, you know, In heaven, we in the Byzantine Church even believe that our prayers on earth allow those in heaven to grow dynamically closer to Christ at every moment, and our prayers do affect those who are already in heaven, and of course, those who are in heaven affect us. So this is the intercession. So those in heaven intercede for us so that we still affect each other and they intercede for us. So this is why someone like Constantine, we've never gotten into about Constantine, but Constantine's not a saint in the West, is mm-hmm. he? In the Roman Catholic Church. I don't think he is. He is in the East because he, pretty much, I don't think he is in the West because he pretty much lived a horrible life. I mean he he killed people as a Christian said he was going to and he actually pushed pushed back baptism. He didn't want to be baptized till his deathbed so that in a sense it's perceived so that he could continue doing these things that he figured were sinful and then kind of be forgiven through his baptism at the very end of his life which is exactly what happened. But in the east we focus more on the fact that if you're a saint it just means you are in heaven and you can have you can intercede from heaven. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing though, intercession. If you're in heaven you are a saint. That's why we celebrate um, all saints. All saints includes those saints we identify and those we don't. Yeah. So if, you, if you're in heaven, you are a saint. That's the intercessor part. There's also the inspiration part, right? We have patron saints that we choose because we are inspired by their life. And so what I want to talk about today is that aspect of sainthood. What is... Why we choose patron saints and and what are we looking for in this day and age to inspire us towards holiness? What are we looking for in the, in the lives of the saints? And that might change over time because back in the 16th century, they were inspired by the fact that she had mystical experiences, obviously a gift from God, and she was able to suffer very well through personal mortifications. And those things, those aspects of her life inspired people to have a devotion to her, where I'll get into that in a moment. Nowadays we actually look at different aspects of her life and inspired as as a general people and as a society that, that lives in a different culture, different aspects of her life that actually inspire us to have her as a patron. All
1: right. I, I don't know much about Saint Mary Magdalene. All I knew <laughs> You started the only, this. <laughs> the only thing I knew was like that she was she, she was crazy. either crazy or she appeared to be crazy or she ministered to crazies. I think all three of those are correct, but she was,
0: she was cloistered. So the crazy she ministered to would have been her own Carmelite sisters. Possible. Um, <clears throat> but, but it certainly was, I mean, there there were things about her that made her own sisters call her crazy, things that made her call herself crazy and things that make us who in any generation read her story, make her seem a little bit, I'm not, I don't mean to offend anybody that word crazy either. It wasn't like a mental disorder. It was more things that are kind of out of the ordinary. So I'll get to that in a moment. Um, so, for instance, those are kind of the things again, the things that, that the same generation like inspired by Rose of Lima, who would, you know, do these things that just cause pain to herself in order to align herself with the sufferings of Christ. Um, what's interesting is is when I read, I actually went and read of all things, I read the Wikipedia page on her, Mary Magdalene deposit. And and it is. I mean, you, you get certainly a a a perspective. Um, but it was interesting because at the end, they had kind of this whole section on criticisms of her again this is 500 years later of course there's gonna be criticisms because society changes culture changes but one of the criticisms was um there there's these these sociologists or these authors these these biographers that says that um she was the earliest recorded case of masochism like that's what they see like in this in any sort of what 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 she would have said i'm i'm causing myself physical pain in order to feel what christ felt and to be able to then spiritually align myself and to understand christ's sufferings mm. and to align my own sufferings with his now you're living in a in a in italy a very catholic country in a monastery, in a convent, with a bunch of other women who are all having the same goal explicitly, it's like there's probably not that many opportunities for physical suffering. And so, you know, one way you can look at it is to say she had the she read Christ's story. He suffered physically as a human being. And so, how do I then to participate in his life? How do I do that as well? One side you say, well, I, I cause myself suffering. You know, th- there's been a lot of this throughout history of people causing the suffering. We frown on that now. And we call it like a psychological disorder or some sort of deviancy with masochism, and that's certainly what this person was saying. Another person said, actually, um, this psychiatrist said um, that she displayed behavioral symptoms of bulimia and anorexia, you know and it's just it's interesting, obviously, eating disorders, what we call eating disorders nowadays, mm-hmm. yeah. and you'd say, now what was you know eating disorders are caused for various reasons, control, body image, etc. were those issues for her. Maybe, I mean you know who who knows, but I don't think so if you look at someone who you know was either not eating enough, you can also call that fasting. You know, you can you can not yep. eat enough for for bad reasons, like an eating disorder. You can do it for good reasons, like fasting. So mm-hmm. I think these psychiatrists are just kind of looking for disorders in her, and so they're finding these things. So this is the criticism. I also, though, and I guess that's my kickoff into the why I think this is good for this day and age, you can see in that, you know, why not, if you have an eating disorder, anorexia or bulimia, why not take her? as a patroness, sure. you yeah. know, as someone who you can say whether she actually struggled with it or whether she kind of chose to to have those that lifestyle of either not eating enough or, or you know, eating and then throwing it up. I don't know how that could be good. It's certainly unhealthy um, for the body, um, but whatever. Maybe that's why she did it, you know, but that's not a good reason. <laughs> but anyway, you know, there's these, whatever, we can take those things. If you, if you do have a um, you know, a tendency toward masochism. Take take her as a as an example, as a patroness, you know, to grow towards holiness. So what we're doing nowadays is we're looking for, I believe, in our society, if I'm going to tell my parish, if I'm going to preach on a saint, and I want the people to be inspired by this saint story, there are certain things I'm going to um, bring out certain things. I'm going to focus on that. I think my parishioners in Denver, Colorado, in the Western Hemisphere in 2017 are going to be are going to you know be the most attracted to and are going to get the most out of. So um, I what-
1: hope there are a few of those qualities. I don't know if you want to encourage people to start dripping wax on themselves.
0: Right, but that, that—that's exactly it. I think I think back in the 16th century or 17th century, that was something that was actually seen as a virtue, and people were saying—and I—I'm not saying it wasn't, you know, because in a sense, but I'm, I'm just just the causing pain aspect of it.
1: Now with like Fifty Shades of Grey, people are dripping wax. No, on exactly,
0: each other. right, and I, I understand that completely, and I'm I'm aware of that. You're gonna have that. to
1: put it like an explicit content on the <laughs> On this, on this.
0: But that's what I'm saying. If, if you look at it with purity, I can imagine someone who who went to the convent when she was like 12 years old or something like that. You know, th- th- there's not this deviancy in here. I think she was just like, she right. read about Christ's suffering and she said, hey, there's a lot of candles here. <laughs> you know, it, it hurts when you drip it on your hand. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, again, cause myself some pain as, as some sort of mortification to align my sufferings with Christ. When you look at it completely innocently, I can see how someone could do that in that context.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, self-flagellation was a a part of um, monasteries or convents for a long time. Right. You know, and even up into modern times. And I think that some people have steered away from that, you know. Um, Right.
0: And now we look at it, and I think we're, we're looking at it through the eyes of shame like oh oh, the Catholic Church has done this for centuries and people want to criticize us for that but it's it's different. I think there is something beautiful about God becoming human being. When he became a human being, when he became a man, he therefore allowed himself to suffer. Jesus Christ actually suffered. He suffered mentally, he suffered physically, he suffered spiritually. All these ways he took on a body, and a body's are liable to suffering. So there's something about suffering and physical suffering as being part of the life of a Christian. And so if you're reflecting upon that suffering, and you don't have a daily opportunity to suffer physically, I could understand how someone, especially the in a convent or sure. a monastery would say that. So it's, we really shouldn't criticize those things as much as we probably do. And we tend to think it's a psychological disorder or some sort of sexual deviancy. It's really not, it does not have to be that at all. But what I want to say is that as much as those things might've been in that society inspired people to take certain someone as their patron. Nowadays we look at things and I want to bring out those things in her life just to say, you know, he, here are some ways that our modern mindset as I perceive it might be helpful as well. Here we go. All right, kicking it off. Um, so her her ecstasies in her in her mystical life, her ecstasies were, and this is where I think you brought her to my attention when she kind of had these very she really experienced a conversation with our Lord, like mm-hmm. in a very explicit human way. We, most Christians don't have that. I've certainly never had a mystical experience and had an, and some experience of ecstasy of having talking to. A transcendent being like God, or even one of the saints, as if I was talking to another human being. You know, I've never had that experience. Not
1: even in New Mexico?
0: <laughs> what? I don't know. Like, do you, mean? you mean like growing up? Yeah. Is that just assumed that you have those when I mean, you're a
1: kid? I, just, I don't know. Like, it seems like, you know, peyote or something okay. like that. Just, <laughs> right.
0: Okay. In, in, in a spiritual way, he you had you have a conversation <laughs> with Roger Rabbit. Not Jesus. Oh, I had to tell that story sometime. But actually, I, I did have an experience. I'm not going to tell right now because it's, it's what? No, I had an experience when I was really overtired. Okay, really quickly. I was overtired. I was pulling all nighter. I was at seminary and I walked out of the out of my room to get some sort of break from writing my paper, and I was just exhausted, exhausted. And I walked out onto the lawn of our Byzantine seminary in Pittsburgh, and at one in the morning, pitch black, I see this perfectly white rabbit running across the lawn. Now I'm exhausted. Yes. White rabbit running across the lawn. Like with my physical eyes I see this. And so I walk over, I pick it up. I had just bought my drum set at that time, so I had this massive box that my drum set came in. I put the rabbit in the box. I get some lettuce from this from the seminary chapel and I go back to writing my paper with this rabbit in my dorm room. And so I go down to Matins after pulling an all nighter to go to a morning prayer. And in the middle of Matins, I'm praying and I'm like literally seeing the icon of the Mother of God like kind of come at me, pass through me, and then go back again. Just sheer exhaustion. I'm literally hallucinating because of sheer exhaustion. So in the middle of Matins, I go, Did I really see a little white rabbit running across uh-huh. the lawn last night? And I had no idea, like in my exhaustion, I had no idea if I actually saw it. So I went out to my room. And there was a right rabbit in a box, oh. so it was real. But like in my exhaustion, I didn't know. It ended up being some neighbor's rabbit got out. But anyway, so I had this like Alice in Wonderland little white rabbit running down the thing. Now I'm completely oh, lost. Oh, Lachlan
1: De Potts. yeah,
0: <laughs> of the crazies. I like that. Okay, um, so um, conversation. In so she had these ecstasies, but she, her reaction to them, I think, what's good for us to hear nowadays. One of her reactions was. Uh, an insecurity? Like, am I weak in faith? And that's why I'm having these very real experiences. Like, that's kind of my thought too. Like, in in, in my lack of humility, my false humility, I say, do, if if Mary or Jesus appeared to me, one of the saints appeared to me, is it like saying, you can't have faith without this? Like, faith is, is, is knowing with a deeper sense, a mm. sense of faith, not needing your five senses to experience a sign. Like, we don't need a sign to prove our faith. So, I'm not not judging anybody that has had those experiences, but I would say I don't ever want to have one because I would actually feel insecure about that. I think I have faith, and I thank God for receiving faith from him without having to experience anything of God with the five senses. I like only perceiving him with the deeper senses, and I thank God that he's given me those deeper senses because it obviously doesn't come from me. But that's what Mary Magdalene de Pazzi said. She said... I'm weak. That's why I'm having these. And when one of the other sisters said, well, why aren't I having those as some sort of like, you're holier than me? She says, no, that's the exact opposite. You're holy enough. You've received gift from God to not need these signs, these mystical oh. ecstasies and experiences. So I think it's things like that. And I guess what I'm getting to is in, in our day and age, we are mostly um, inspired by saints being like us. I think back 500 years ago, they were mostly inspired by the saints not being like us. Mm, yeah. Nowadays, we're, we are more inspired by them being like us. So if I know there's a saint who is in heaven and interceding for me, and, they, and I'm like, they were just like me, that's inspiring. Back then it was like Saint Nicholas in the Byzantine church. We say that St. Nicholas fasted from his mother's milk on Wednesdays and Fridays (laughs) as an infant, right? It's like—and there's times when that inspires us. Nowadays, people just roll their eyes at that and be like, that's so unreal. It doesn't inspire me because I want to hear that St. Nicholas, you know, had to go to confession once a week because he was such a sinner. Like, those are the things that inspire us nowadays. So quickly going through those things about St. Mary Magdalene de Posi because I don't know how many since not much is written about her recently— what that might be um so but what you were saying is she certainly like teased and bantered with her lord in prayer and the example of the biography that i read the hagiography that i read was that she like jesus kept on coming to offer her a crown like like you're my beautiful princess here's a crown of flowers and she would say i want a crown of thorns and he would go no no here's a crown of flowers and she'd always like and like she would kind of tease him back and go like, I want what you had, what you had was better than what you want to give me. And, um, and there's just this kind of back and forth and this almost teasing with gift, giving gift, receiving, not receiving it well. Um, so that, that banter with our Lord that, that seems almost impious, like, Oh, you would never talk to the King of Kings that way. Like she certainly had that experience. And I do know that people nowadays with us clergy, they like seeing us acting normal. And I actually think right. people are inspired by clergy not acting clerical, not not acting you know high in the sky or up on a pedestal. You know, oh, you're just like me. You know, you're you're normal. Like that's not always a good thing, of course, for priests. It's not. But it, but people are inspired by seeing men who have given their lives c- completely to the ministry of the church also acting normal and and watching the same TV shows they're watching and you know smoking a cigarette every once while you know drinking you know, bourbon on a podcast, you know, people do like that stuff. They are inspired by it. So, um, the banter with our Lord that seemed a bit impious back then, I think people also are inspired by that as well.
1: Um, anything on that father Nathan, as I scroll down, I think, uh, it's actually pronounced impious. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to,
0: are we going to have another uh, bet here? No, I mean, Okay. Like- we're betting it. Sriracha, Sriracha. I say, you say it's what?
1: I just said Sri Raka. Sri I Raka. I don't... I think
0: there's two different ways of pronouncing impious. Okay. Impious, impious. Okay, we'll be corrected on that as well. What's Send us an email. One-to-one one right now. Yell at us on Facebook. <laughs> what are you talking One to one. I
1: think I'm wrong about Sri Raka. <laughs> okay,
0: okay. Well, I and I think there's two ways of pronouncing impious or impious. I
1: think there's two ways I'd... of pronouncing Sri Raka.
0: <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say something deep so I could go on to my next thing. Um, okay. So here we go. Um, so she had a dryness. So I'm just gonna read this. Jesus told her, um, at one point in her prayer, I will take away, not the grace, but the feeling of grace though. I will seem to leave you. I will be closer to you. Mm. And at first she said, this was easy to accept when she was in the midst of the ecstasy. But she said later, that she had not experienced that yet. And at the age of 19, she started five years of dryness and desolation in which she was um, repelled by prayer and tempted by everything. So like the ecstasies, she felt very holy during the ecstasies. But as soon as they stopped, immense dryness. And there was no ecstasies for five years, an immense dryness. And then it says later on, she was so depressed that she was found twice close to suicide. Hmm. Like I don't think that would have been brought up in the 16th century about her. But you know, whether that was in her writings or one of the sisters wrote it oh, yeah. down, it might have been hidden. But nowadays, honestly, I love and I think most people love hearing that that a saint who was who was literally receiving ecstasies from God was a couple times close to suicide. Yeah. You know, Anorexia, bulimia, whatever you want to say. Like we like hearing those things because she's like me, and that, that therefore I can become a saint too because she had the same experiences as I do. What is the greatest example of this? Jesus Christ, right? God became someone who was one who suffered. God became someone who suffered like me, and and as what does Chesterton say? I think the quote's brilliant when when jesus says my god my god why have you forsaken me he says mm-hmm. for a bit of time god was an atheist you know, wow. it's it's like th- that that experience of of God believed there was no God. You know, there, there's something so human about that, and that draws us in. So, hearing that Mary Magdalene de Pazzi went through this dryness, this desolation, when God wasn't showing her signs for the ecstasy, she was also found immensely dry. Went through five years of incredible dryness, similar to uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, Mother the Teresa Setter, who also, of course, as I hope we all know, went through an immense period through the entire rest of her life of dryness, and that inspires us, I think, at this day. In age as i said before
1: um what i would say about your first point is that um not to get into too long of a discussion because we are nearing our time limit the one hour seal has already been broken <laughs> it will not be broken again by me until the jubilee um i think that part of that has to do with the way in which we experience liturgy nowadays mm. um in that used to be that there was a time in which holiness uh, was an otherness. And right. so yep. God was Very good sacred point. and beyond, yep. and my approaching Him was actually entering into something different yep. uh, than I'm normally accustomed to, which is part of the attraction to the Byzantine liturgy, yep. is that Absolutely. you most certainly have preserved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so then when we look at holiness, it's actually, these people were so different. They, they lived beyond what I was capable of. Yeah. So they somehow entered behind the veil and are experiencing something. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like, no, I want them to be same as me. Right. I want to see the fact that the priest goes to Chick-fil-A and and he drinks bourbon and, and you know, he watches my TV shows or Has whatever. As a mullet. Instead, <laughs> I, but yes, yes. Um, but, like, I think it's become so kind of, you're just like me, that it's like... Yes, but that's not good. Right. You know, like, and, and if I'm just like you and you're just like me, not that I'm trying to create again, like a clerical culture, but it's like, if I can't actually direct people beyond, right? Um, and saints aren't actually directing us beyond, then we've just relegated them to kind of the hall of fame. Yeah. And it's like, and there's something like, beautiful about really a hall of fame.
0: And there's something beautiful about testimony, like Augustine's confessions, you know, like, like saying that there was a time when I suffered with all these things, but I want to give you hope by saying I've actually climbed out of it. Like the temptations do change, but get easier when we rely on Christ more, you know, so that, that you're right. Um, there, but, I think,
1: but I think that's true. I think the way in which we approach liturgy now I and, agree, and holiness 100%. is like, oh, yeah, I just, I just went to confession. It's like... Um. Did you, did you just get forgiven of your sins? Like, because right. that that's really crazy to think right. about that. Yeah, so. and you're right. I,
0: I think that's liturgical theology has absolutely become something. I I want the liturgy to have the music and the pace and the the kind of uh, dialogue that I have in my daily life. We've lost that sense of desiring mysticism, desiring for the other. So. One reason I do like the Byzantine be- church, but even that, that we, we did in the Byzantine church as well. I mean, there, there are certain ways that even within the unchangeable liturgy that God willing, we will always have, there's still this desire that people have, and they like it better when there's something ordinary that happens within the extraordinary procession that that's just again part of our culture so but i mean
1: like even the you guys do a blessing of cars and whatever i mean like people like that now all of a sudden the sacred touches the ordinary you know and the ordinary is transformed into the sacred that's cool amen i'm I'm not trying to say like that's bad now that we have you know saints like that but there should be there we should have a preservation of the otherness of the saints because uh the i that we know that they're in heaven yep i don't know if i'll be in heaven right amen i mean i was thinking about that as you were talking i was like man what if like we do all of these podcasts and everything else and then it's like <laughs> actually you're going to go to hell forever yeah i'm like man i should have lived a different life yeah but then i don't like thinking about that cuz like god wouldn't do that right you know <laughs> Maybe he
0: would. Yeah. Well, I I think i mean, and again, I I know we always do need to, you know, approach heaven and, and our own salvation that Christ gives us with a certain urgency and fear. Of course we do. But I also think there's something about community and I don't want to get too much on this either, but there, there is a certain sincerity that like I see in the rest of my companion brothers and I'm like, I think I would have some tension. I think all of you guys are, you know, Doing the right thing, and that, that you, you you desire holiness, you urgently, urgently want to grow in union with Christ, and when you see that in others, and I think Christ with would within the community that we have, or within the community that everybody's offered, like. You can kind of say, Mm. I might be completely Mm. deceiving myself about my process and pilgrimage towards holiness, but I imagine that, that, that the devil has, doesn't have as much power over the way someone else perceives me as he does over the way I perceive myself. If I'm convincing myself that I am actually moving towards holiness when I'm not. So anyway, side topic, community, we all need community. All right, real quick, three more things that, that kind of touch on our modern need for inspiration and then I'll be done. Um, it says that uh, God com- commanded her in her prayer and probably in one of these ecstasies to go barefoot as, one of, as part of her penance. Um, so she obviously was going to stand out from her sisters going barefoot. Um, so she just cut the soles off of her shoes hmm. so that she wouldn't look like she's barefoot, but she was. Yeah, I think that's what we don't, in our society, we, we want humility, but we don't like kind of this humble bragging that you see people do. We don't want to even um, risk looking like we're arrogant you know there's something that's why i have you know that's why my um my uh avatar on facebook is clark kent ripping his ripping his shirt open to reveal a Charlie Brown shirt instead of a Superman shirt. Because mm-hmm. it's like, there's a certain arrogance of Superman being so strong, but if he rips off his his normal human clothes and reveals Charlie Brown, this, of course, as this humble fictional character, rather than Superman, this very powerful fictional character, there's something that probably shows my insecurity and my uh, false humility. But anyway, I thought that was beautiful. I was inspired by that, certainly. Yeah. By, by following God's law to to add that extra aspect of penance, but to do it in a completely, completely hidden way. Um it also happened that one of her sisters criticized her for acting so different um because of the things she perceived, these ecstasies, etc. Um, probably because she acted crazy, like you said earlier, like you wanted me to read about her for. Um at this point, St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi thanked her and said, May God reward you. You have never spoken truer words. Hmm. Like that's the pious thing to say. In humility, when you criticize me, you're right. And I'm saying you're right. But she told others that it hurt her quite a bit to be nice to someone who insulted her. So, like she she acted very pious. Oh, you know say, but it really she was kind of saying that because she felt she needed to. Yeah. Like that's the pious thing to say. But deep down, it really did hurt her. You know, and I think that's something that that is good to understand. Like we know the pious thing to do. We know the pious thing to say. But when we might even do it. But it's nice to know that a saint who did the right thing kind of went back to her room and probably cried herself to sleep that night because she was hurt by it. You know, even though she acted like, oh, you're so good to me by insulting me, it did hurt her, you know. And finally, one last thing. And actually, this comes from... Um, this reminded me actually of Archbishop Chapu, who I'm sure doesn't listen, and I hope he wouldn't be insulted by this if he did. But um, this is kind of his bluntness. When I was in spiritual direction with him, his bluntness, I always loved it um, because I knew he loved me. And so he could say, he could really criticize me, and I would never feel emotionally bad for it. But it says, when one of her novices, she was a novice master at this point. When one of the novices asked permission to pretend to be impatient so that the other novices would not respect her so much, Mary Magdalene answered Mary Magdalene's answer shook this novice out of her false humility, and Saint Mary Magdalene de Pazy said to her, What you want to pretend to be, you already are wow. in the eyes of the novices. They don't respect you nearly as much as you think. And <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it was like she was just she was able to like like if, if you're looking to be respected, if your piety, you're not going to say that to any or are novices, you know, but she was really trying to call this woman onto holiness. Like, yeah, you're, you're trying to go over the top with your piety, with this kind of personal piety you have of saying, Oh, I'm going to act impatient. I'm going to in a sense, be a fool for Christ so that the others will think less of me. And she's like, they already think less of you. You don't, you don't need to, you know, you think they think highly of you need to lower that, but that's really not the case. So there was something about her confidence and her bluntness that also showed a really immense humility in what she did as well, and I think all those. I mean, read about her, Saint Mary Magdalene de Pazzi. Look her up, googler, etc. Um, I think that there is. She's a good example of a saint that that is kind of um, transcends generational aspects of looking to saints not only for intercession, which is always the case, but also for inspiration.
1: Googler, googler, Google the girl. All right, now I'm done.
0: Anything else on that, Father Nathan?
1: <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. I'm, right. I'm glad she she's hopefully somebody that you have found inspiration from, and we will find inspiration. I did, inspiration. And you so found a name for your car. I did. De I Pazzi. like that better. Honda DePozzi.
0: Honda DePozzi. <laughs> DePozzi, sorry. Uh-oh, another pronunciation. Isn't it P-A-Z-I? P-A-Z-Z-I. Oh, that's in Italian. That's Pazzi, isn't it? My bad. Okay, I will surrender that wow. one. Wow, okay. The Byzantine surrendering to the Roman. Uh, you you Roman
1: know that one better. Yes. The Posse, excuse me. With the, with the foot on the neck. <laughs> All um, right. All right, here we go, folks. Christmas comes a little late, but little uh, late. Jesus is born, exclamation point. Yay. Glorify him. Yay? Is that what you say? <laughs> Glorify say, him. Jesus is born. Yay. In the Jordan. Mary, Mary had a, whatever it's called, a water birth. Okay, so, uh, dear fathers, in the past three months, three months, I have listened to six years worth of podcasts. Perhaps not advisable, but I did it. You guys have accompanied me to and from work, uh, uh, worked with me as I completed morning chores and relaxed with me in the evenings. I have laughed out loud, spoken to my radio, and cried twice. Twice. I have been moved with joy and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father John, you always say that the podcast is a mess or the topics aren't covered well, but trust me, the Holy Spirit is working through you. Maybe not John. the John. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have learned so much about the faith and church from you guys, and you have awoken in me a greater thirst for God and a new passion for my faith. My friends and family are becoming acquainted with the podcast as well because I can't help but talk about it, and you guys know that I keep you in my daily prayers. And it's from Tiffany Metzger from Somerset, Ohio, Thank you, and Tiffany. she sent us a box full of wrapped goodies, and we are just now unwrapping them. Yeah, I don't have no idea what mine is. This one have my oh, this one does have my name on it. Has what your name am, on it? What if it's the
0: other Father Michael? Have two Father oh shoot, I didn't even think about. Well, that. Well, I'll open it and see. Let's <laughs> we'll see who it applies to. But yeah, I'm <laughs> see it. Typically, people do say I'm Father Michael and he's Father Mike. So okay, I'm opening it right now. He's
1: actually opening
0: on it. air opening black socks I think that is me
1: that is you because there was one that one podcast I looked at my socks and I had holes in it thank you yes so and you just said you had to do laundry so I I he's wearing two different I don't <laughs> two different socks today <laughs> oh
0: we got our, we're, our, our our dirty laundry literally yeah I'm wearing two completely different socks because I ran completely out of socks and I have my pile of ones that don't match and I'm wearing two of those That's and sure. so I have now in my hand
1: four brand new clean socks that I'm probably going to change right now thank you Tiffany present for me. All right, this one doesn't right. have a name He's on it, his. so I don't know who it is. Up, oh, nice. Is it food? Yes, but nice. it's not Sour Patch Kids. It's chocolate. Oh, nice. All right. She Boom. also sent in cashews and a nice Christmas ornament. Um, so uh, thank you so much. Well, throw me one of those chocolates, and I have one more shout out too. Also, if I may, I'd like to request this is from uh, Tiffany. Uh, shout out to my very dear friend Catherine Labisch. Who has been a wonderful blessing and a joy to work with who helps me remind me daily to offer it up so to cater. it up labish all right uh final shout out from julia
0: fears we got gifts dear catholic have Saf- You should know fathers thank you so much for your ministry through the podcast my family and i have grown closer to our faith because of your knowledge and passion i'm sure it goes without saying that you really are changing hearts through your work please enjoy these cigars and coffee thank you again for all that you do p.s could i give my sister sarah and her boyfriend craig a shout out they are two of my favorite people in the whole wide world and i'm hoping this will suffice for a belated anniversary gift julia fears and the coffee the coffee and the cigars are called Regina Coffee and Regina Cigars, huh. and they are. Um, if you go to reginacigars.com, I'm guessing you can buy the coffee there too. But all uh, 10% of proceeds
1: it's at the bottom. Goes a portion to... of
0: the proceeds go to help a persecuted, displaced Christians around the world. So um, it's real coffee called Regina Coffee and real cigars called Regina Cigars, and it has a picture of the Mother
1: of God on them. So and one of them Sounds is good. just tobacco wrapped coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here chocolate chocolate oh. oh sorry that was a bad throw bad bad catch too and i think it went out of the couch i'll get it the mice will get I'll it i'll get like it pet mice okay. settle Give down one. i'm not going to chew this on air i promise this all, right. Part the in the way. all right i actually i don't think i have another one. Oh, i thought i did another what? Oh, shout out shout out oh I think we're good. We're good. Let's do Father Ooh. Mike and Father John, who are uh, Father Mike, is the teacher, the professor, who is giving the finals. Oh. Father John is the student who is still taking finals. But different schools, so. Different schools, okay. different strokes for different folks. Right. Um, but Pray hopefully by then uh, these guys have um, uh, have gotten a little more stable and is, um, Yeah. That's right. All right, folks, Catholic Stuff Podcast, gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Give us a uh, good rating on iTunes. Thank you all for listening. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, and we'll see you next time. Amen. Love you. Bye. Ciao, ciao.